Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Let's turn to his word. Brothers and sisters, the battle belongs to the Lord. And we will be seeing in Nehemiah 4 exactly that truth. And our God reigns over all the nations. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, or it's on page 21 of the bulletin. This is the almighty word of God. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Let's pray. Father, this is your living word, and we rightly bow before you as your servants and as your children to cry out and ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might understand your precious word, we might live according to your promises, that we might build and battle in the strength that you give us. And so we humble ourselves now. Father, teach us, help us to have teachable hearts. Help us, Lord, to apply this for the glory of your name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think many of you know that, uh, or maybe you don't know why uh, myself and some of the fathers and uh, all, most of the young men go over into that room over there about once a month, maybe twice a month. Well, we're studying the Word of God together on uh, issues of leadership and what God has called uh, us and these young men rising up uh, what God has called us to be like. And so we started studying Nehemiah some time ago, and it's been a great blessing to go through that <clears throat> with the young men and their fathers. And we've been discussing mostly the character of Nehemiah, I suppose, and what does it take to be a leader like him, of his stature, given what he uh, was going through. And, uh, but this sermon will be uh, a little more uh, about the builders, about us, uh, under uh, a leadership like that, to be unified as we are part of this building and we are part of this battle that we're in. Let me give you a quick overview here of the time, the situation. This was, uh, Jerusalem had been conquered by uh, the Babylonians, had been destroyed, the walls were torn down in 586 B.C., 586. And then Nehemiah came in 445 B.C., and of course he found it in ruins. He had gone to the king 
uh, of Persia, and the king had given him permission, given him uh, money, in fact, and the means to rebuild and the authority to go and rebuild uh, the wall. And so he did that, and uh, when he came, he saw it, and he was grieved by that. But his task was to rebuild the walls, and uh, then uh, that would enable the people of God to uh, be in the city, to worship, and to repopulate the city. So Nehemiah was authorized by the king to lead the, what was the third wave of uh, people, exiles, who had come back. Uh, the original one was through Zerubbabel, and then the second wave was Ezra the priest came, and around that time was when the temple was uh, rebuilt. Uh, but the wall had not been rebuilt, and it had been uh, some 70 years. The wall was still broken down. So Nehemiah arrives in 445 B.C., and the temple had been rebuilt, uh, and he, but he encountered a city that uh, was in great need of renewal. And the people were in need of renewal, and they were in need of restoration and rebuilding. And so he faced many enemies. He faced a lot of enemies, and some somewhat powerful ones. And he had external enemies, and he had internal enemies. Today, we'll mostly be looking at the, the external and a little bit on the internal kinds of enemies. And he had a lot of challenges as he began to do this great task. And in the verse, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, you know, Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall. And he was furious, it says. He was furious. He was very indignant. And he mocked them. He was mocking them all the time. And it says he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble doings? He asked those questions to mock them and to discourage them, really. And the people were surrounded, really, by angry enemies. And Sanballat and his descendants uh, had been the de facto leaders. They had, they're the ones in charge around there. They didn't want to give up their uh, leadership, what they thought they had there. Uh, they were the descendants or the governors of Samaria, the north region, uh, north of Judah. And then Tobiah, he was a governor of Ammon, you know, of the Ammonites. And he was on the east side of the Jordan. And then we see in verse 7 uh, that the Ashdodites were on the west side of Judah, the west side of the people. And then they had uh, a man named Geshem and his people, the Arabs, on the south side. They are surrounded by people who do not want them to complete this task. In Nehemiah chapter 2, this is what the people said when they were first starting to build the wall. They said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Let us rise up and build. They said, what a huge task they had in front of them. But they said, let us rise up and build. But in verse, uh, going on in that, that same passage in chapter 2, it says, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us, and they despised us, and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Well, they weren't rebelling against the king. The king had given them authority, but they were trying to undermine them. And it went on, so I answered them. So Nehemiah said, Nehemiah answered them in this way. He said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Is that speaking it straightforward? You have no right. You have no heritage. But we will build by the grace of God. So the people who returned and were building the wall, they were surrounded by enemies who were angry, and they were beginning to restore the walls, and uh, then the city of Jerusalem could be uh, more restored and repopulated. And, of course, that would strengthen the people of God. That is not what those uh, enemies all around them wanted to see happen. But when Sanballat heard the Jews that were rebuilding the wall, it says he was furious. He's indignant, and he mocked the Jews. Uh, as he was speaking 
to the people of Samaria. He's speaking to the peop his people, the people of Samaria, and to the army that he had. I don't know how extensive his army was, but it probably didn't take much of an army to be greater than the army that uh, they had inside the walls and a little bit outside. They had no army, essentially. But in verse 2 here, this is what he said. These are his mocking questions. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? He didn't want that. Will they offer sacrifices? He didn't want that either. Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? So they're having to deal with not even the right materials here. They have burned stones. So the enemies, brothers and sisters, the enemies of the work of the Lord will mock his people when we are involved in the task that he's called us to do, in whatever building that may be, in order to stop what the Lord has called us to do. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, There never was a good work yet, but what there was were some to oppose it, and there never will be till the Lord comes. He had no illusions that he would not face mockery. I think, I don't know about you, but it seems like there's been more public mockery of Christians in the, in the American media in, in recent days, and uh, at least that I can remember. And uh, even by some who would call themselves Christians or go to church. Those who believe in the application of the law of God and all the word of God in all areas of life are being maligned by many people who really don't understand what we believe and the passion of what we believe. Or because we believe that the earth was created by the Lord in, in the space of six days and 6,000 years ago. Well, brothers and sisters, in John chapter 15, I'd like you to think about what the Lord said to his disciples and is saying to you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So, sure, if we go along with what others are doing, we wouldn't have the opposition that we see here. Yet, it goes on, the Lord says, Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You think they hate you because uh, you don't, they don't like the way you look or anything like that? No, the world hates you because you want to follow the Lord Jesus. So expect to be mocked, at the least expect to be mocked, for believing, for example, that the law of God and all of the word of God is to be obeyed in all areas of life. In verses 2 and 3, we see a number of ways that we should expect those who hate the Lord to try to discourage us. Discourage us from the work that the Lord has given us to do. They want, us, they want to create doubt, and they want to create fear in those who are active in building. And I will tell you later, I'm sure we are active in building. First of all, they seek to gather others around them. Or they seek to at least make it look like we are way more in number than you guys. And that's what he kind of did here. He spoke to, before his brethren in Samaria, and they had been established, there was more of them, and he spoke to the army, it says. And, you know, he wants to over, you know, the enemy likes to overwhelm us in that way. Well, there's way more of them than you all. Well, our response, I believe, should be, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And one example I thought of right away is King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. There's a vast army out there much larger than, than he had. And they were Moabites and Ammonites, and they all came, they gathered together. Um, and these are some of the same enemies that Nehemiah was facing. And King Jehoshaphat said this, O Lord God, this is the beginning of his prayer, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? This is how he began his prayer. Against an overwhelming army. It was remembering who the living God is, how mighty he is. And this is how he ended the prayer. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. And I would tell you that individually, I often pray this same prayer. Whatever it is I'm facing, I just, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but my eyes are upon you. They have to be. I don't know how to go forward. Well, secondly, these people will always remind us how feeble we are, how feeble we are. And if we take the words of Sandblatt here and kind of apply, uh, to the Jews and kind of apply it to how it might be said to, about us, it would sound something like this. What are these feeble Christians at Dominion Covenant Church doing? They aren't a mega church, and yet they have dominion in their name. How can they even, you know, do anything? There's too few of them. Well, they have no idea of the might of a unified group of the army of the living God, of the people of God, unified in their part of the building. And I'm not sure many Christians do either have an idea of the might of a small group even of unified people following the word of God. You all know the story of Gideon in Judges 7. There are many Midianites again, an overwhelming number. And uh, Gideon started with 32,000 men against this horde of, of men. And then 22,000 left. So that's down to 10,000. And in the end, you know, they had 300. And the Lord said to him, this, the people who are with you are too many for me. This is when they had 10,000. Are too many for me to give to the, the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So 300 men to fight against an overwhelming, vast, vastly larger army. And the result was they killed 120,000 men that day. They routed them. They chased them. Uh, not just the 300. He had to call people to join him in the chase. 120,000 of those men. They routed them with 300 people. Actually, the Lord routed them with 300 people. Now, brothers and sisters, we are feeble, I would say. I guess of ourselves, but mighty as we pray to the living God and as we build whatever it is we're building, as we battle whatever battle you're facing, you, you have to know that we are in this together. We are strong as a body and as a people covenanted to practice the one another's in each other's lives, uh, loving and serving one another as we serve our king. Another story, King Hezekiah. He's king of Judah. He faced the Assyrian army when they surrounded Jerusalem, again, an overwhelming army, and they were mocked by the Rabshakeh, I think it's pronounced, basically the chief of staff of the Assyrian army. He stood outside the wall on purpose so that everybody could hear his mockery against the living God and the people of God. And this is what he said. Uh, this is what he, Sennacherib the king told him to say. And this is what he said. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Who are you to think you can avoid the Assyrian army? But Hezekiah prayed in 2 Kings 19. This is very similar to the prayer I just read by Jehoshaphat, the, the beginning of it. O Lord God of Israel, 
the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Reminds me of David, who was this heathen to defy the armies of the living God. And it goes on, Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and these lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroy them. That's why the Lord allowed them to destroy uh, that, those, those people. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that is Sennacherib and this vast army, save us that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. That all the nations of the earth, for the glory of your name, that all the nations of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. So he knew that they were outmatched, obviously, and feeble according to the world, feeble uh, in the eyes of his enemies, certainly, but not when the Lord of hosts, the God of all the kingdoms of the earth, the creator of the ends of the earth, is for them. And brothers and sisters, we need to pray like this, remembering the might of the living God as we build and as we battle. And the result was, later on in that passage, it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned home and remained at Nineveh. And he didn't remain there very long because his two sons killed him. Now they ended up coming back, but for a time there. You know, God glorified his holy name in this. And we need to pray to the Lord God when we are mocked for working and building and uh, battling for the Lord as we face those who would seek to discourage us and to stop the work of building. Well, thirdly, uh, these people question, usually they will question our ability to do the work at all. They will question that we have the means to do this. They will question that we have the uh, resources to do what we have said we long to do by the grace of God. And our adversaries may say of us, they may say of Dominion Covenant Church, well, they don't even, they don't even have a lot of money, probably. They don't have powerful people on their side, they would think. Politically, probably, they mean. But this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty or those which think they're mighty. And I would put myself in that category. And I am weak without the Lord Jesus. I am weak without you. I don't feel mighty, but my God is mighty. And it goes on, the base things of this world, that God chose the base things of this world and the things which are despised or hated, as we saw earlier. We are despised often. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Sennacherib certainly did that overtly. Here's some promises to claim, to know, and to have in your mind, to meditate on. This is in 2 Corinthians 9. It's in a passage about giving that God will 
enable us to give, but this is what it says. It relates to this. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You may have an abundance, not just enough to build the wall. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the standard. That's how he supplies. It's according to the riches of his glory, which we cannot fathom. But that's how he supplies us as we go forward in the task he's given us. Philippians 4.13, if I change it from I, it says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we must go forward together in the work. The emphasis of the sermon is we must go forward together in this work, remembering the Lord who has given us his exceedingly great and precious promises. And by praying, praying in faith, and like Phil said, taking actions of faith. They go together, by the way, they always should. Praying in faith to the God of the nations, as we just heard, those kings of Judah. He started out praying to the God of nations. In him we do have the ability to do the work that he's called us to do. And by him we have all that we need all the resources we need to do the work he's given us to do. We should never doubt that as we go forward. And I believe, uh, fourthly, they, these people would try to seek to um, stop us from worshiping, from gathering to worship, or at least in some way disrupting worship. And uh, he said, will they offer sacrifices? That is certainly not what Sanballat wanted. He didn't want them. He knew that they would increase in strength as they did that. And our adversaries will seek to stop us from worshiping according to the word of God. Daniel's prayer. You remember Daniel was told not to even pray in public. Don't even, don't even do that. But in Daniel 9, another great pattern of prayer for us. Now therefore, he said, now therefore our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, again, all these prayers have to do with, for your sake, Lord God, for your name. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate, and it was at that point. His sanctuary was desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city of Jerusalem, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So he's praying for the people of God to be able to continue to worship. And then lastly, of course, they mock. They will mock us. And they will say something like, well, even if they can build this wall or some of this wall, they might say to us, even if they can do something, it won't last. Tobias said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Not a lot of confidence, but he's trying to break them down. And those against us will also question the quality of our ministry, our work, or will it survive, or its survivability. But that wall stood for some years, and it was a big wall. Now, when those who despise us and the Lord realize that we are intent, we are a people intent on rebuilding the wall. We are intent on our reconstruction of a biblical society. We are intent on restoring the crown rights of King Jesus. They will be furious. Well, they already have. You can see it online all the time. They get angry. They're indignant. But we should prepare ourselves and our children.
to anticipate this and to be prepared to stand in the Lord together. Several weeks ago, as Phil is sharing today from Isaiah 54, he shared about enlarging our tents by faith, by faith in the promises of God. Enlarging your tents and lengthening the cords and strengthening our stakes, you know, pounding them down deeper. And I like, and he said something like, we need to anticipate the winds of adversity against this tent that we are trying to expand. We must anticipate it. And so I believe we need to put down stronger stakes. And I believe, for illustration purposes anyway, I believe those stakes are uh, how we pray. And do we pray individually and, and together? And we will, by the grace of God, after uh, the worship today, we will uh, pray. So let's remember uh, the promises of the Lord and pray his promises. This is a promise to you, again, from the Lord. Blessed are you when they, or when people, revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely, for my sake. And his promise is rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Praise God. So have you been mocked? Or do you feel like as you read Facebook or whatever that you, you know, we are more and more mocked in our society? Well, our response, I believe, should be to this opposition, the beginning of it, actually, maybe, must be to go together to the one who has given us authority to build. We have authority to build. We have all authority in heaven and earth was given to Jesus, and then he said, go, make disciples of all the earth, and be involved in my kingdom work. So we must cry out to the Lord of all at his throne together and receive mercy that he gives and receive grace to help in time of need. Now, in building the walls we are responsible for here at DCC, uh, our part of the wall, so to speak, in the kingdom, um, is something I believe we are learning to do together. Well, I'm very encouraged, very blessed to work together as unified builders, each of us on our part of the wall. You know how each family who was building that wall had, okay, this is this family's part, and this is your part, this is your part. But they were together. And they were side by side. So we must cry out to the Lord of all at his throne together. And <clears throat> our response of faith and work, as Phil said again, it's a response of faith. There must be action too. Begins, I believe, though. The first action, maybe the primary foundational act, action, should be our prayer together. And our prayer. And sometimes that is with the imprecatory prayers in the scriptures, mostly many uh, of which are in the Psalms. And if, if you look at verses four and five, it says, This is what Nehemiah prayed against his enemies. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So Nehemiah knows that they are despised by the people around them. He knows that very well, even though he's doing a work that uh, the king of Persia allowed him to do, gave him means to do, and the king of kings, in fact, authorized him to do. So they are despised. That First of all, they're despised because they believe that this wall can be restored and that the people of God can also be restored. And that makes those who think they had the control very angry. And it reminded me of the recent election 
Most of the nation, I suppose, thought that probably Hillary's going to win. She's got enough money. She's conniving enough, and it looks like she's going to win. She didn't, obviously, pull that off. But their anger, if you notice, keeps growing. They're pretty angry. And so that reminded me of this, of this time. So these kind of people despise anyone who, in a sense, forces them to acknowledge the living God and his work through his people. And they get angry if the people of God are showing progress and believe in progress. We believe in progress. And that really torques them off. And in this prayer, we're reminded to pray and remember that the enemy seeks to provoke us to fear and to doubt and to defensiveness. But they are really provoking the living almighty God. And that is truly unwise, very Foolish, utterly foolish, and it cannot succeed. Matthew Henry said, We should be angry at the malice of persecutors, not because it's abusive to us, but because it's offensive to God. We should be angry when God's name is treated this way. And this is a very brief imprecatory prayer here. And uh, there are two others in the book of Nehemiah. One's in chapter 6, and it just basically says, My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. In other words, look what they've done. Remember them for doing these things. But in this chapter, in this prayer, Nehemiah prayed maybe four parts to this very brief prayer uh, in his request. And he, First of all, he said, turn their reproach on their own heads. In other words, uh, may they fall into the pit that they have dug for God's people. They mean evil. And the principle is you reap what you sow. And the Lord, uh, he's praying basically that the Lord would turn the harm that they meant for, against the people of God and it would just come upon themselves. And we often pray this way each month as we stand before the abortion mill here in Omaha. Uh, not necessarily this imprecatory uh, psalm or prayer, but we often do. We almost always do. And essentially the same thing. Secondly, uh, he said, give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Well, they knew what that meant. They, were, they had been given as plunder to a land of captivity. They knew how terrible that was. And so he said, you know, may that happen to them. And the enemies of God are often defeat each other, by the way. You know, they come at us and they end up defeating each other. Humanists are self-destructive. Phil said that many times. It's a good reminder. They will destroy themselves. The third part, he said, do not cover their iniquity. In other words, may their iniquity be found out, not hidden. May their shame be exposed. May their foolishness, foolishness not be hidden. And then the last part just says, do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. And again, that the Lord would bring justice upon these people, his enemy and the people's enemy uh, in history. May it happen, it happen now. Well, I'd like to read a little bit from some books I have uh, on spiritual warfare, which I left over here. And one of the blessings of all these books is they're really pretty thin. You know, we're studying the tools of dominion. It's like four inches thick. But all of these are ten. So, um, first of all, uh, Phil has edited, and many of you, probably everybody here, most everybody here has the Prayers for Spiritual Warfare. It has a different cover now. Um, please arm yourself with that. Prayers for Spiritual Warfare. Printed by Biblical Blueprints. It's probably on the back there. And I'd like to read um, from this. This is, and what these are are model prayers that help you 
to pray. You know, if you're not sure, how do I engage in this kind of spiritual warfare? And this is at the end of a section called Putting on the Armor of God, which we must do. We're, we're battling, first of all, by prayer. And it says, With joy I take hold upon the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And later it says, Grant me proficient recall and skill in using your word against all of Satan's subtle attacks against me, even as my Lord Jesus used the word against Satan. Enable me to use your word not only to defend me from Satan, but also to claim its promises and to wield the sword strong against Satan to defeat him, to push him back, to take away from him ground he claims, and to win great victories for my God through your word. Thank you that Satan must retreat from your word applied to him. That's a prayer for spiritual warfare. And it ends this, uh, this way. Grant me great supplication and burden for others in, in God's family of blood-washed saints. Enable me to see their needs and to assist them through prayer as the enemy attacks them. We must have each other's backs in this battle. We're together in this. And then... Moving on from there, there's a book called Biblical Imprecations. This is written by Robert Fugate. Many of you know him. And the subtitle is Christian's Secret Weapon. And he wrote, I'm just going to quote uh, from someone he quoted. This is from Johannes Voss regarding this kind of warfare. God is both sovereign and righteous. He possesses the unquestionable right to destroy all evil in his universe. If it is right for God to plan and effect this destruction, then it is also right for the saints to pray for the same. And then in this uh, small book, War Psalms of the Prince of Peace by a man named James Adams, and the subtitle is Lessons from the Imprecatory Psalms. He quotes Cal Beisner. Many of you met him three years ago, I think it was, at the Providential History Festival. And Cal said this about imprecatory psalms. Prayer is, in fact, spiritual warfare. One weapon is prayer for conversion of spiritual enemies. Another is prayer for judgment on those who finally refuse to be converted. We handicap the army of God when we refuse to use both of these great weapons that he has given us. So we're to take up the sword of the Spirit, according to Ephesians 6, which is the Word of God. Imprecatory Psalms are in the Word of God, are part of the Word of God, and other similar scriptures in the Word as part of our offensive weapons. We're to take them up. And this, by the way, is how we leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord, by crying out for justice with these psalms that he's given us, leaving the vengeance with him. And we also grow, I believe, in uh, indignation at the evil that is brought against his kingdom and his name as we pray in this way. Cornelius Van Til is also quoted in this book, the War Psalms book. He said, it is at all times a part of the task of the people of God to destroy evil. Once we see this, we do not apologize for the imprecatory psalms, but glory in them. And one way we do that here is by singing. If you notice today, some some of those would probably be considered imprecatory, or parts of them. And today, as I mentioned, we will also pray that way together, as we do outside the abortion bill once a month. One more quote from this book. On page, in the middle of this book, Johannes Voss says, God's kingdom cannot come without Satan's kingdom being destroyed. 
God's will cannot be done in earth without the destruction of evil. Evil cannot be destroyed without the destruction of men who are permanently identified with it. Instead of being influenced by the sickly sentimentalism of the present day, Christian people should realize that the glory of God demands the destruction of evil. Instead of being insistent upon the assumed but really non-existent rights of men, they should focus their attention upon the rights of God. Instead of being ashamed of the imprecatory psalms and attempting to apologize for them and explain them away, Christian people should glory in them and not hesitate to use them in the public and private exercises of the worship of God. And I believe in Hebrews 12, there's another passage that we should have in our minds as we face mockery or even worse. This is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're told that we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So he was mocked, certainly. We know that. He despised it. It didn't stop him from completing his task. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has been exalted. So we look to him. And then in verse 3 it says uh, that we should consider him. We should consider Jesus. And it says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not become weary and discouraged in your souls. So brothers, if you are discouraged, if you are tired of people mocking you, um, don't become weary. Consider the Lord Jesus. He is our victor. And we must remember often that the Lord bore this mocking and scorn and beating and pain and death that his people could be free to build. We're free to do that now. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged in obeying his word and being involved in building. And we should not hesitate to arm ourselves with every kind of prayer that the Lord allows us. And he's given us in his word. At DCC, our work together for the kingdom may seem small. And it may seem insignificant to others, but it should never that look that way to us. And we should have a vision for the future. We do have a vision. And we should work hard now and instill in the next generation this praying in faith and this hard work. And realize that the Lord limited the number of warriors for Gideon so that his name and his power would be revealed. You may feel your part in the ministries at, at DCC or your part in building and battling is very small. Your ministry is insignificant. But we must remember that significance is defined by the living God, is determined by the Lord, that which pleases him and is in obedience to his will and his, and his gifts to you. He's given you gifts uh, of which you need to be uh, a good steward of. And so we can all be involved, all of us, from the youngest to the oldest here, we can all be involved in the building, in the battle, with the spiritual host of wickedness in, in the heavenly places. But it's on our knees, really. And we should know that the Lord will work mightily through us. We should trust in him for his glory, the glory of his name. Now, in this work, this is how the people of Nehemiah worked. It says in verse 6, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. They had a heart to work together. I think they, they were so glad to be together and doing this together. Their heart was in it. And in chapter 2, earlier on, it said, Let us rise up and build, 
And they set their hands to this good work. And they said, basically, let's do this thing. And they began without delay. Why do you think they had a mind to work like this? You can guess a few reasons. How did it develop? <clears throat> they hadn't been able to do uh, much building. In fact, the wall had uh, been down for 70 years before Nehemiah came. Well, first of all, <clears throat> they had leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah and the men who were serving with them <clears throat> who were unified. They had unified leaders, and these leaders worked along with them joyfully, and these men had authority to teach and to guide uh, the people. These are leaders who had vision uh, for the work. And in this, I would ask you, dear saints, please continue to pray, as I know you are, for your church officers, that we will continue to enjoy the blessed unity we have known for years. Praise God. Praise God for these men. Well, secondly, they were highly motivated by the survival of their families, their children. Their, in fact, because of their children, the future of the people of God. They were motivated. They knew they needed a wall to protect them. And so later on, in verse 14, it says, do not be, Nehemiah says to them, do not be afraid of them, all of these people against you. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So he acknowledged, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. The Lord could wipe them all out because he is great and awesome. But he said, and fight. Get ready to fight. May we continue to have each other's backs and to fight together against those who would seek to, for example, in our case, to take away uh, the ability we have to teach our children, to educate our children, our covenant children, or against those who murder the innocent, or against those who willfully, actively are seeking to destroy the family. Well, thirdly, uh, as I mentioned, they wanted to be able to worship the Lord. And they were hungry for the word of God. They wanted to hear it in, in relative peace and safety. They, they knew they, before the wall, they were always prone to attack. Uh, they were willing to work hard and to fight the enemy to be able to worship and to hear the word of God. I believe we will do that too. And we are like that. They, they all wanted to hear the word of God and they needed to have that safety. So in chapter 8, which is what the young men and I and their fathers are studying right now, chapter 8, the first verse says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. It says they told, you know, Ezra, we want to hear the word of God. And they all gathered there, and they stood for a long time, and they listened. And they wept. Now, they also built the wall to half its height. You know, a lot of times when I was reading this a long time ago, I thought, well, half the height, that's about right here, you know. The enemy could just jump over that thing. But half the height of the wall was not a small amount. In fact, probably half the wall was about 20 feet. I don't think those guys could jump over that. So it wasn't as long as, the, uh, as, as some of the walls, the, the walls around Jerusalem uh, as, certainly as, as long as uh, in circumference as the current one. But it was still quite an undertaking. In, in the archaeology sites I looked at, 
there's uh, the wall around Jerusalem like that, and then the, they, they estimated the wall around Nehemiah, in Nehemiah's day they built was something like that, maybe half. So it might have been a, a, a mile or a little more in circumference. Well, that's still a big wall. That's 20 feet high. And the width, on average, was 8 feet. So this is not a little wall. So people really had to have a mind to work to build this. They had to have a mind to work. And a heart, really, to do a huge task like that, just to even start doing a task like that. So they armed themselves, and they followed the plan of their leaders, and they labored together. J. Sidlow Baxter said uh, this kind of pithy sentence, there is no winning without working and warring. I like that. There's three W's, first of all. There is no winning without working and warring. But I would actually add a word to this. There is no winning without working and warring together. And that's what I see in, in all of this passage. Well, at DCC, we are blessed, <clears throat> greatly blessed, and we should give thanks that we have a mind to work here. I've seen it many times. And more and more, I believe, we also have a mind to go to the Lord and pray to the mighty God against his enemies, which we, which, you know, prayer must accompany and undergird our working and our battles. I, I think one example to me was recently, it was about two months ago, uh, we were, seemed like we were moving everybody in the church, but I know that wasn't true, but sure, seemed like it for a while, but uh, I remember, I'll never forget, actually, the day that all the young men, or not all of them, but many of them assembled at Phil's house, and we had, it was a huge task ahead of us, and, uh, you know, we had to move, you know, we had to have a mind to work to move, what, 3,000 books? You got to have a mind to work. You know, when you saw all those in Phil's office and everything, you know, everybody thought, okay, and we did it on a run, I think, most of the time. Some of those young men were uh, just so eager to, to do that. And to get our office set up, all those things. Seemed like a hum humongous task, uh, but by the grace of God. And working hard together. But I think even more than that, to me, the best example of this mind to work in our dear assembly here is the Providential History Festival. And it would probably be the one about six years ago, maybe, when uh, it, it was at, at the Air and Space Museum, and, you know, we walked into this hangar, and there's nothing there. Well, well, yeah, there's some airplanes there, but okay. But there's nothing there that you can do a conference with anyway. And so we had to uh, bring or develop or build or whatever, assemble everything that was there. What a huge task that was for us. But to me, I mean, we, were, we were really tired, obviously, all of us were. But what a great blessing it was, you know. And then... You know, we had to take it all down. And nothing, nothing should be there, not even a piece of paper. You know, we probably left our sweat there, but, uh, it, you know, that's what we had to do for I don't know how many years when we were there. And all the young men and everybody, you know, we had to build uh, the soundstage. We had to build the uh, stage over here. We had a dinner theater for 300 people. It was just amazing. When I think about it, it just, it's a great blessing to even think about it. And uh, I remember Jeff. You know, Jeff had a huge job there to set up a sound stage for this event and all the things he did. You know, I don't know if Jeff even had gray hair before that time. <laughs> I, I really don't. But, I mean, he does now. But uh, I am really blessed when I think about that. Now, PHF is always a lot of work. We've been working hard. We'll work hard here in two weeks when that is put on here, but um, that one I think will always be in my head 
When I think of this verse, the people had a mind to work. Praise God, that's what we want. And uh, one of the blessings of, and the goals of PHF, in fact, is to work hard together and to establish in our young people uh, this kind of mindset. That's what we do. That's what the people of God do. We work together and we pray together and to train our young ones and give them the experience of, of working hard as part of the people of God and what can be accomplished when we work together to please the Lord. Paul spoke of this mindset in Philippians 1. He said, stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Some versions say, with one mind striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. Just like they literally did in, in this passage in Nehemiah. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition to them, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. So the adversaries facing the people of God in Nehemiah's day, I believe at some point were actually terrified that the people of the Lord might succeed. And they were succeeding. They got really angry. And this fear, too, that they had was proof of their perdition. Perdition meaning their ruin, their, their own destruction. They could almost see it coming. I think we're going to lose this one. And then Paul continues in chapter 2 of Philippians. He said, if there is any consolation in Christ together, and there is, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, he was telling the Philippians, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's saying that's the way you should act. So this is done, I believe, as we labor together in humility to do what the Lord has called us to do and given us to do. So brothers and sisters, we cannot build unless we strive together, unless we stand and fight together. And then uh, we, will, we won't be terrified of our adversaries when they arise to stop us. Our response is not fear, not to fear, but is by faith to be unified in prayer and unified in action, in working and building and fighting. Now, we may have different parts of the wall, each of our families, each of us as individuals, so to speak, but we serve together and we protect each other in those ministries that we're involved in. Prayer and actions of faith should always be together. Prayer is foundational before and during the work and the battle. It should be continual. And again, we'll apply a little bit of this after lunch. I'd like to conclude by looking at Nehemiah's response to, uh, in verses 7 through 9, what we see is a stepped-up uh, attack uh, of the enemy to stop them. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah the Arab, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them, all of these disparate people, they weren't really friends of each other, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. That was their goal. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now, the enemy's anger has now here escalated from mockery, you know, verbal ridicule. It's now uh, to the point of uh, attack. They want to take them down. They want to kill them. They're going to, and physical violence. And they saw the progress of the people of God. It says, they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. 
So they got very angry. And they didn't expect this, I think. They didn't know the work that the people of God can do. When led by men who are led by God, they didn't know what it was like to face a people who work together with one mind like we just heard and who are blessed by the Almighty God by their obedience. And so then, even those who were enemies themselves gathered together, united, uh, to try to stop this work. They conspired to attack. And we see this happening in our day. People conspiring, people you wouldn't think would fit together, but they hate us together. Uh, But we can rejoice that they are beginning to know that they are weak. And so these people conspired to attack, create confusion, and even, they thought, even if we can't kill these people, can't jump over that wall now, uh, it's not as easily, easy as it used to be, uh, they would try, at least try to create confusion and fear because the people heard that they were going to come and attack too. And Nehemiah said this to, when they got this news. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. I don't care what they do. <laughs> Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. It didn't matter what they conspired to do or even if they did attack. He had the right priority went to God in prayer. So they prayed, and they set a watch day and night. They didn't underestimate the enemy uh, or cease to be involved in in the work that God had given them to do, but they submitted it all to God. And it says, because of them, because of those threats and those people coming after us, we're going to set a watch against them day and night. They were vigilant, I believe. They were alert to the possibility of attack, as we should be. In 1 Peter 5, it says, be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's still doing that. Our adversary is subtle. The enemy is subtle. Subtle when he needs to be directly offensive, when he can be, when he wants to be, is allowed to be. Ephesians 6 teaches us to use and to put on the full armor of God in our battle. And I'll conclude with this. In verse 18 of that passage, Ephesians 6, the last of the armor, so to speak, and I think the part that unifies this armor that God has given us is prayer. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's the beginning of our battle, foundation of it. I believe prayer and corporate prayer is the most potent weapon we have in this battle and in building the kingdom, the part that God has called us to do. It unites us in his will, and it turns us together to the one whose grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh, Lord, thank you for this precious promises, all these promises we've heard as we've looked into this passage today. We rejoice that you would even call us fellow builders and that you would include us in such a glorious task and that you enable us to build in your kingdom for your name's sake and that we can do this together with fellow members of your family, people whom we love. Lord, help us to pray in faith, to pray at all times, to be prepared for battle as we build the part of the wall that you've given us as a church. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our King, 
and the King of the nations. Amen.